The Apostle Paul warns every Christian in Philippians 2 verse 12 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, meaning that Satan might rob you of it in exactly the same way as he did with Adam and Eve. This warning from the Apostle Paul should be taken very seriously by every Christian who sincerely values their salvation and who hopes to be part of the forthcoming pre-tribulation rapture event. As the Bible clearly says, there is only one gospel, meaning the Apostle Paul's gospel, that will save Christians from spending eternity in hell. This means that every Christian should take the time needed to research what the Apostle Paul's gospel actually represents. I have discovered it is a significantly different salvation message to what has been commonly preached in the churches for a very long time, and this podcast reveals what I have discovered. Hello, and welcome to my podcast. My name is Alan Manson. And I'm here to speak about spirit walking with Jesus and what the Bible says about this and topics that relate to the spiritual aspects of the Christian's journey through life. In today's episode, we'll be looking at what issues comprise the Apostle Paul's salvation message, which is the only salvation message Jesus Christ will use to judge Christians by to determine if they have obeyed Paul's gospel or not. But before we commence today's message, this podcast contains scripture verses from the King James Bible that when I read them out, I occasionally add in words of my own that aim to clarify what the scriptures refer to from the studies I have undertaken. I therefore expect that those listening will replay the message and look up the scripture references to determine if what I say is true or not. I welcome any feedback that you may have about this or anything else stated in this message. If you have listened to the previous episode, you will have appreciated that it has been my long-held view that the water baptism ceremony represents spiritually the signing of a contract between God and each Christian in which they now have the opportunity to attain eternal life with God. This means that God will honour his word to provide every Christian with eternal life if he or she obeys his commandments, just as Jesus stated in John 14 verse 15 where he said, If ye genuinely love me, keep, meaning obey, my commandments. However, I have discovered that Satan's ministers that preach in church pulpits mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 14 to 15 have failed to advise Christians of their contractual obligations that each Christian must must fulfill for God to grant them eternal life with him. If Christians fail to comply with the conditions God has set down in the Bible for them as stated, These will not inherit eternal life with God. This is because they have defaulted on the contract's terms. In this, Satan helped them to break their obligations by seducing them into believing his lies of once saved, always saved, rather than obey God's requirements that are plainly written in the scriptures. 
This is exactly the same tactic Satan used against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, in Genesis 3 verse 1, when he placed doubt in her mind on what God said to Adam. This is a tactic of his that has proven to be highly successful for him with every generation of humanity at robbing God's children from spending eternity with their Creator. However, as God says in Scripture that it is not his will that any Christian should perish because of Satan's wayward pastors or hirelings in the pulpits, as stated and warned by John in John chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, meaning those who are not serving Christ but serving their own belly instead, as stated by Paul in Romans chapter 16, verse 18. Instead, the Apostle Paul demands that Christians are required to study to show themselves approved unto God, as stated in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, to escape Satan's snares. He then requires them to apply what they have learned from the Scriptures to their life in faith, just as the Christians from Berea were known to do, as mentioned in Acts 17 verses 10 to 12. Therefore, today's message will look at the spiritual requirements that the Apostle Paul, Paul's gospel, which all Christians must obey if they sincerely hope to spend eternal life with Christ after they die. Before I commence, I want to remind listeners of Jesus Christ's mandatory requirements that must be met if Christians sincerely expect to enter into God's kingdom when they die or when the rapture occurs. These requirements are, firstly, Christians must become an active disciple of Jesus Christ. In this, Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 26, If any man come to me in faith alone, and hate not, meaning love less than him, his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In the verse that follows, which is 27, Jesus said, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The point here is that becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ requires every Christian to take up the cross that Christ has for them, following Jesus wherever he leads them, and placing the love of Christ above all others in their life. This is a mandatory requirement for Christians desiring to enter into heaven. Secondly, in the same chapter, Jesus spoke of a king contemplating going to war and of a man considering building a tower, both of whom failed to count the cost of failing in their endeavours prior to implementing their plans. As both men failed to achieve what they set out to do, Jesus related this to Christians who fail to achieve what God expects them to do for him as his sons and daughters on earth. In Luke 14's 33rd verse that follows, Jesus says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So the the foregoing verses are clear statements by Jesus Christ that both he and God the Father require all Christians to potentially forsake all that they have 
and to place the love and affection of other family members below their love for Christ and to take up the cross that Christ has for each Christian and for them to follow Jesus as one of his sheep, simply to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. If such a commitment is not forthcoming from such Christians, this means they have no salvation. Thirdly, similarly, true Christianity is not about being well-liked or even tolerated among family or friends. In this, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 34 to 36, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a Christian man at variance, meaning, or in opposition against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes, meaning his worst enemies, shall be they of his own household. So if you listen to my testimony podcast, you will see how this happened to me with my own former family members. On the contrary, if Christians place the love of family members above that of loving Jesus Christ, Jesus has stated in Matthew 10 verse 37 that, quote, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If any Christian loves their family members more than Jesus Christ, this means they have no salvation. Fourthly, biblical Christianity is not about becoming a member of a church congregation, but becoming a member of the family of God in heaven, as being, quote, sons and daughters of God, as mentioned in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18. For Christians to attain such a status in God's eyes, Jesus said in Matthew 12 verse 50, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Herein lies the difficulty for many Christians today, which is, how can one actually know what God's will is for them to undertake and complete each day while endeavouring to be a good and faithful servant of Jesus Christ? If Christians don't know what God's will is for them and they fail to do it, how can they be considered a member of God's family in heaven? The point here is that if Christians fail to do God's will, the Bible indicates they have no salvation. Fifthly, Jesus said that if a Christian is not truly born again, he or she cannot enter into the kingdom of God, as plainly stated in John 3 verse 5 that follows. Quote, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man or woman be born of water and of the Spirit, he or she cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It cannot be said any simpler than this. There are other mandatory requirements for entry into heaven also, such as achieving the state of sinlessness in the same manner as both God and Christ are sinless, as stated in 1 John 2 verse 1, 1 John 3 verse 6, and especially 1 John 3 verse 9 that says in my paraphrase that follows, Whosoever is truly born again of God, 
This means that he or she doth not commit sin. For his seed from their new spirit that he or she received in his, from Ezekiel 36.26 at their new birth remaineth in him. And this spirit reminds him or her that any act of sin indicates their spiritual father is the devil. Therefore he or she cannot sin because they are truly born again of God the Father. Similarly, Christians must attain the same degree of holiness as that of God the Father in heaven as stated in 1 Peter 1 verse 16 and reaffirmed in Hebrews 12 verse 14 which states that if holiness is not achieved prior to one's death, such Christians will end up spending eternity in hell. Again, Christians must attain the same degree of perfection as that of God the Father in in heaven, who is perfect, as stated by Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 48, and where the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 28, that, quote, "...whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus." Therefore, these fundamental requirements and more besides are necessary for every Christian to achieve if they sincerely hope to live eternally with God. With the foregoing requirements in mind, we will now look at the requirements the Apostle Paul has stated in the Scripture that Christians also need to obey or comply with if they sincerely hope to live eternally with God. In Romans 2 verse 16, Paul says, quote, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Unquote. This phrase, according to my gospel, is a clear statement that Jesus Christ will use Paul's gospel to determine if Christians have understood through study and then obeyed the gospel's requirements or not on judgment day. In Romans 16, verse 25, Paul says, quote, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Unquote. Here Paul says that his gospel contains a mystery. When wrestling with this mystery, it must be remembered that the other disciples of Christ also had difficulty coming to terms with what Paul was telling them. In this, Peter said in 2 Peter 3 verse 16, quote, As also in all his, meaning Paul's, epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Here is a clear warning from the Apostle Peter that if Christians fail to understand the implications of Paul's gospel, destruction in hell awaits them. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 8, Paul says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. 
Therefore, the requirements within the Apostle Paul's Gospel and how God requires Christians to function in this sin-ridden world is the focal point of this podcast. This means that every Christian should know what the Apostle Paul's Gospel requires of them so as to determine if they have complied with its requirements or not. If Christians prefer to ignore this opportunity to determine if the gospel they have believed can save them, they will be repeating the same error as God's people did in the past, as stated by the prophet Isaiah, Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, where they each said the same words, quote, Who hath believed our report? In this, the prophet Isaiah said some 2,700 years ago in chapter 53, verse 1, regarding the rebellious Jews of his days, quote, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Then Jesus Christ said in John 12, verse 38, some 700 years later, when quoting the words of Isaiah in relation to the rebellious Jews in his day, Quote, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then the, the Apostle Paul said some thirty years after Christ's death and resurrection, the same words stated by Isaiah in regards to the rebellious Jewish Christians in his day, Quote, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Meaning, the one true gospel that must be obeyed. That's from Romans 10 verse 16. The point here is that both most Jews and Christians over the past three millennia have failed to obey God's commandments and have rejected the words of the prophets sent to warn them of God's impending judgments for their failure to obey him. The situation is no different today, as Christians do, uh, today believe in any number of false gospels that do not require them to obey the one true gospel, which is Paul's gospel. Next, we will look at what the mystery of Paul's gospel represents. Firstly, a major feature of Paul's gospel is that it contains a mystery, where Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 19, quote, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And to Timothy he said in 1 Timothy 3 verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. I have come to the understanding that the mystery Paul speaks about is the spiritual requirements of the gospel that have been alluded to by Jesus Christ but which have been expressed in other ways by the Apostle Paul. In this, Jesus speaks about the absolute necessity of the new birth occurring in every Christian's life, as stated by him in John 3, verses 3 to 8. In particular, Jesus says in verse 7, Marvel not, meaning, do not be amazed, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Unquote. This means that an actual birth must take place. Notice that Nicodemus accepted an actual birth should occur, but he did not understand what Christ was actually saying because he had a religious or a carnal mindset. 
In my previous episode titled The Eight Stages of Biblical Salvation, Stage 3 represents the new birth that must take place for the Christian to both see God's kingdom, as mentioned by Jesus in verse 3, and to become the new creature in Christ, as mentioned by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. This is required by Christians to grow into spiritual maturity and to become symbolically as strong young men, as fathers that beget sons and daughters through preaching Paul's gospel, and good soldiers of Jesus Christ, so as to be able to fight against the devil and his people. The Apostle Paul then speaks of Christians becoming, in the spiritual sense, individual members of Christ's spiritual body here on earth that are joined together in love, with each exercising their spiritual gifts when required as a group. In this, each Christian within the group should know and then do God the Father's will collectively and in harmony. Let me show you this in the Scriptures. Quoting from Ephesians 4, Paul indicates that multiple born-again Christians are to construct themselves into a form of a temple that is built upon the foundations of Christ the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets, as stated in Ephesians 2 verses 20 to 22 that follows. Quote, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, as are the religious Christians of today, but fellow citizens in heaven with the saints and of the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Here is the illustration of a spiritual building that comprises its foundations that God has already established in the Bible using the words of Jesus Christ, the words of the apostles and the prophets as the foundation. This temple grows from commencing as a frame and developing over time into a holy temple that God the Father can inhabit on earth spiritually speaking. Similarly, Paul speaks of the body of Christ, also representing another spiritual dimension in which God and Christ can each perform their wills on earth, as stated in Ephesians 4 verses 15 to 16 as follows, quote, But speaking the truth in love, that the truly born-again Christians may grow up or become more spiritually mature into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body of individual members fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This means that as Christ's physical body in human form has bodily members such as arms, legs, ears, eyes, and nose, etc., so Christians are to perform these same bodily functions in the spiritual sense with other truly born-again Christians, 
so as to be able to perform God's will here on earth. The following passage of Paul's writing to the Corinthians church also supports his teaching about Christians becoming members of the body of Christ on earth. Quote, For as we, as human beings, have many members, such as eyes, ears, hands, feet, etc., in one body, and all members have not the same office, meaning an arm cannot hear like an ear does, so we, being many members, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another uh, by being joined together in love, as commanded by Jesus to all Christians in John thirteen thirty four to 35 Having then our unique set of spiritual gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith that we have been given by the Holy Spirit. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, on exhortation. He that giveth gifts, or money donations, let him do it with simplicity, meaning without expecting anything in return. He that ruleth, that he does it with diligence. He that showeth mercy, that he does it with cheerfulness. That's all from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 8. Therefore, the message here from Paul is that Christians are not to be divided as they currently are on church doctrine and in the denominational churches. They are to read from the same Bible, particularly the 400-year-old King James Bible, and believe the same things learned, and then speak the same things, so that those listening to each of them can hear the same message and are not confused. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul says, quote, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, and that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unless these basic requirements for all claim born-again Christians take place, this means the spiritual members of the body of Christ and the spiritual temple of God, both of which are made up of individual Christians, quote, fitly joined together in love, can never exist unless they, quote, speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. It also means that unless Christians are joined together in love, they can never know or are able to do the will of God, as confirmed in Ephesians 5 verse 17, that says, quote, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but be ye understanding what the will of the Lord is. Unquote. The point Paul is making here is that Christianity is not to passively believe that Jesus is the Son of God to achieve salvation, as many false pastors preach from Acts 16 verse 31 that says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Unquote. Instead, Paul's gospel demands that Christians must be born again, just as Jesus Christ plainly stated, and from this new birth experience be given by God a new heart and a new spirit 
that God then puts within you, as stated in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. From this new birth experience, each new child of God should seek other like-minded Christians so as to establish the members of Christ's spiritual body here on the earth, and from this be given the various gifts of the Spirit associated with their ministry location within their area of the body of Christ. Once a body of believers has been formed in a congregation like any incomplete building or temple, it needs other like-minded members so that it can function in the many spiritual activities that bring both Christ and God the glory they are expecting to see materialize among God's children here on earth. In this Jesus prayed, uh, quote, from John 17, verses 21 to 23, that they all may be one, or in unity, as thou, Father, art in unity with me, and I am in unity with thee, that they also may be one, or in unity, in us, that the world in which we have placed them may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, meaning the power to spiritually tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, as stated in Luke 10 verse 19, I have given to them also, that they may be one, or in unity with each other, and us, as we are one. I, dwelling in them as members of my spiritual body on earth, and thou dwelling in me, that they may be perfect in one, through our combined unity, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Unquote. So where the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10 verse 16, but they, meaning today's Christians, have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath re- believed our report. We are now witnessing the end of the Christian era because Christians have remained individual believers and have not attempted to join together with other Christians in doctrine or agape, meaning godly love. This effectively means the individual members of Christ's spiritual body on earth appear to God like a dismembered, deceased body cast about on the ground, signifying to God that Christians today are spiritually dead. Now this ends my message on the Apostle Paul's gospel of salvation that I am convinced associates with the gospel of initial and final salvation that I recently presented. It also described the various spiritual growth stages necessary for spiritual maturity and wisdom to occur in Christians. It also mentioned the conditions that Jesus Christ states are mandatory for all Christians to abide by if they sincerely expect to inherit eternal life with God. In this we must remember that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50, quote, Now this I say, brethren, that the intellectual Christian mind made of flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption or church religion inherit incorruption, meaning Bible-based truth. The flesh 
and blood here refers to the carnal mind spoken of in Romans 8 verse 7 that says, because the carnal mind is enmity or is an enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. As uh, And this relates to Romans 8 verse 1 that says, quote, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, meaning the flesh and blood carnal mind, but who walk after the spirit. This is the born-again spiritual man. This means that any Christian who prefers to follow a particular preacher's ministry or prefers to keep their Christian faith isolated unto themselves such Christians cannot inherit eternal life with God. I have proven this point many times over. On my website I have a menu item titled Challenge that lists over 150 Christian ministries I have contacted about the Apostle Paul's Gospel and with the exception of a handful, all refuse to respond to my emails. This proves that we are in the Laodicean church age where today's ministry leaders reflect what Jesus Christ said would happen in Revelation 3, verses 15 to 18, that says, quote, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold, meaning, no, Alan, I do not agree with what you say, nor hot, meaning, yes, Alan, I totally agree. Continuing on, I, meaning Jesus, would that thou wert cold, or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm by your preferred silence, and neither cold nor hot, I, Jesus, will spew thee, or thy name, at the great white throne judgment, out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich from my people's tithes and offerings, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art, from the spiritual perspective, wretched, miserable, poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me, meaning Jesus, gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich spiritually, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Unquote. That is the core of what the message of obedience that applies to the Apostle Paul's gospel that Jesus Christ will use at both the marriage supper of the Lamb to assess the spiritually minded Christians and to then allocate the rewards for faithful service that were performed during their lifetime on the earth. On the contrary, for those Christians who preferred to reject or disobey the Apostle Paul's gospel, by preferring to follow a religious life. These will be assessed by Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment mentioned in Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15, where Jesus will examine their works as recorded in their books prior to determining if their name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. As their names will appear blotted out as alluded to in Revelation 3 verse 5, such Christians will be cast into the lake of fire and become, quote, an abhorring to all flesh throughout eternity, as stated in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 23 to 24. 
Therefore, if you are a Christian listening to this message and you feel you would like to more spiritually walk with Jesus Christ, feel free to contact me through my website at mygospel.info. I am searching for similarly minded Christians in which to form members of the body of Christ here on earth that could potentially grow up to become the temple of God in the spiritual sense. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 19 verse 26, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Unquote. If the gospel you believe in does not require you to keep obeying it due to the conditions I have just explained, I suggest you do something about it. Don't be a forgetful hearer of the word of God, but become a doer of the word, as stated by the Apostle James in James 1 verse 22. If you have any questions regarding anything stated in this podcast, please add a comment below or write to me at mygospel.info where you will find a contact page from which you can email me. Also, I suggest you replay this message again and this time check out the scripture verses in your King James Bible that I have used as this is how God speaks to his people. Before you go, please give this podcast a like and please click the follow button. Please consider sharing this podcast with your Christian friends and family and especially with your pastor. Ask each of these to provide you with some detailed comments as to the claims made here. Whatever you do, don't do nothing. God is recording your every action in his books in heaven as stated in Revelation 20 verse 12. May God bless you for listening.